Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your very own primary care provider. How old do you have to be to take advantage of seeing a geriatric specialist? And does everybody need one? What sort of things do they know that even your primary care provider might not be aware of? Well, today we are going to talk about that and more. I'm delighted to have Dr. Megan Chalk on the line. She is a geriatric specialist from Kaiser Permanente, and she's going to teach me about some of the things even I might be doing wrong, taking care of some of our wonderful kapuna as we all get older if we're lucky enough to reach those ages. So thank you for joining us today on The Body Show, Dr. Chalk. Thanks so much for having me. Now, geriatrics is a specialty in and of itself. You know, you've done primary care training, and you've also learned some advanced ways to help take care of some of our elderly. What is the process of becoming a geriatrician? Well, I thanks for bringing that up. Um, geriatrics is its own medical specialty. So that means that to be a geriatrician, first you have to go through the standard medical training, which is medical school. Um, and then you have to complete a residency program. So I did my residency in family medicine. Um, a lot of geriatricians either start in family medicine or internal medicine. And after three years of residency training, then you do an additional one or two years of a geriatric fellowship program. So I trained um, right here at the University of Hawaii and we have a really excellent geriatric medicine fellowship program. I think that, you know, I, I did my training in San Diego. I, I went away for medical school. And I didn't really realize what a powerhouse the University of Hawaii was in geriatrics um, until I started interviewing at other places. So I was really, really thrilled to be able to come home and do an additional year of uh, geriatric fellowship training here. Well, I'm, we're all happy you came home. I'm delighted that Hawaii is where you want to be and where you want to practice. Now, when a lot of people hear geriatrics, they hear, oh, you have to be over a certain age to see a geriatric specialist. And that may be true, but not everybody necessarily needs that level of expertise. Who is sort of the, the average patient that you see in your clinic? Yeah, we're, we're very blessed. Um, we get to see a large range of patients. Um, generally, what I'll tell people is geriatrics. There's no hard and fast number of how old you have to be to see us, um, but we tend to see people who are at least age 65. And you're right that not everybody who is older needs a geriatrician, but we really specialize in people who have complex complex needs. So either people who have a lot of medical issues, um, a lot of chronic conditions, or we talk about geriatric syndromes, one of them being dementia. So a lot of the patients that we take care of, they have dementia either caused by Alzheimer's disease or another um, disease process. And a lot of our work is, is working with them and their families. Well, because a lot of situations arise that if you can take care of things before someone has the memory issues, it's often better for them and for their family and make things makes things a lot easier if we know what someone's wishes are and we understand what it is that their goals are before they get to a point where maybe they can't really share that with us on their own. 
Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought that up because although a lot of pe people that we see, they do have dementia in later stages, I really, really cherish the opportunity to work with people who kind of are coming in before it gets to that point. Even people who are just maybe concerned about their memory, they'll come and see us and we can really have the discussion about, you know, you're not showing any symptoms now, but in the future, like if it happens, what, what would you want? Like what matters to you as, as you get older? Well, and I guess that's really the crux of the question is something that I know we need to do more in primary care is, is ask somebody, what's the most important aspect of life to them? And tailor what we do and what we recommend to making sure that they can still participate in that, whether it be an activity or spending time with family or whatever they define as what's their most important area of emphasis. Yeah, and I think that it's not only primary care. I think that even specialists, like even some of our cardiology colleagues or, you know, nephrology colleagues, they would benefit from knowing that because a lot of times what one person wants may not be the same thing that another one does. But in geriatrics, we get to ask that question and figuring that out, we can kind of help to communicate with all of the other doctors about the goals of overall care. So for some people that might even mean stopping a chemotherapy, a cancer medication, if it's not adding to their quality of life. And, you know, there's those conversations, they take time, but I think they're really important because again, it, it's a very special time of a person's life to, to be near you know, the end, the end chapter. And I think getting to participate in that is just really special. Well, and we need more people like you who see it as such a special opportunity and a time to really help somebody through the, the changes that happen as, as you get older. Now, I'm curious, there are some things that I have patients ask me pretty much every day. And there's some general rules of thumb about something that we all think is pretty innocuous, not a serious issue, but it could be. So let's talk a little bit about medication. There's some common over-the-counter medicines that are available. Any one of us could go to a pharmacy this evening and purchase them. And sometimes as we get older, we have to be extra careful about how that might interact with other aspects of our health, whether it be age-related or some other medical conditions or other medicines we might be taking, there's sort of a list of medicines to avoid when you get older. What are some of the what are some of the meds on that list? Uh, well, I I think that you know going to a pharmacy is kind of intimidating because there are so many options. But definitely one medicine that I always try to tell people to avoid is the. Benadryl type of medicines or a lot of those over-the-counter sleep aids, anything that contains something with diphenhydramine, which is the generic drug um, name for Benadryl, uh, those are all, they can actually be really dangerous for, for everyone as we get older um, because they can have a lot of side effects that can range from falling to urinary retention, not being able to use the bathroom. So anything with diphenhydramine, um, we really try to get people to avoid. So even Tylenol PM, if you look at the ingredients, it's acetaminophen with diphenhydramine or 
any of the PM medications usually have some sort of antihistamine component. So definitely would not want anyone over 65 to, to be taking those medicines. Well, um, and- I think another one. Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, another one would just be like your basic ibuprofen or your non-steroidal medication. So ibuprofen or naproxen, like Aleve or Advil, um, those can be dangerous for people, people's kidneys and also some can cause some stomach bleeding. Those are two really important categories, and I want to make sure we dive a little deeper into those. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back with Dr. Megan Chalk from Kaiser Permanente, we're going to talk a little bit about why do people reach for sleep aids. And, you know, there's a lot of commercials out there that say if your joints ache and give you trouble, take ibuprofen, take a leave, and yet maybe it's not such a good plan. We will discover some more about why when we come right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Megan Chalk on the line. She is a geriatric specialist at Kaiser Permanente. And right before the break, we were talking about two big common medicines that people ask me about all the time. There's that wonderful Benadryl. It's an antihistamine. Sometimes people use it for allergies. But it's in a lot of sleep medication. And it seems to me, Dr. Chalk, why do I keep hearing people having a lot of trouble with falling asleep and what are the alternatives to what they could take that's safer? Yeah, I think that most people don't realize that our sleep actually changes as we get older. So we spend less time in that deep regenerative sleep and more time in kind of a lighter sleep, that REM sleep, during which it's very easy to get woken up by smaller noises or even a little bit of light. So a lot of our patients, they do report that, oh, they just don't sleep the same and it really bothers them. So I always kind of start with non-medications. So making sure that people are, you know, staying away from looking at their phones or staying away from watching television before going to sleep, generally trying to keep the room dark. Uh, for at least an hour, if not a couple of hours before you want to go to sleep. That really helps the body to learn, like, it's time. It's dark. Um, Our brains make a hormone called melatonin that kind of helps our body get prepared to sleep. So trying to make sure that people are doing that, um, keeping the room cool and dark is often helpful, too. Uh, If that's not enough, I mentioned the hormone melatonin. And generally, I will tell people to try to start with a lower dose if they want to try a supplement. Um, It's not regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, so you do have to be a little cautious with, you know, the doses. But I usually tell people to start as low as one milligram, but sometimes three milligrams, and take it about an hour or two before you want to um, go to bed and get sleepy. So that would be a safer option, again, than something like Benadryl or one of the other antihistamines for sleeping. 
So I guess step one is recognize that your sleep pattern is going to change. And if you can't sleep for the eight hours that you're used to, it doesn't necessarily have to be something you have to get very worried about if you can function the next day. You know, I often tell some of my folks who are older, if you don't have to go to work, take a nap in the afternoon. If you're not getting enough sleep at night and you have this afternoon lull where you just feel like you need a little bit of rest, you're lucky enough. Indulge it. Enjoy a little nap because then if you don't sleep as much at night, you're not going to be as stressed about it because you have this catch-up time. Is that something else that people can consider is, you know, if they do get up a little earlier than usual, just know that maybe their schedule allows them to have a little break in the afternoon. Yeah, I think that I generally try to tell people to avoid the really late afternoon naps, but a lot of a lot of times a, a shorter nap, nothing longer, I think, than an hour, just to make sure that your body has enough of that sleep drive to go to sleep at night. It can be really helpful for people. And yeah, I mean, one of the things is you don't have to, you don't have to get up early, although a lot of times I think naturally um, a lot of our patients are kind of earlier risers and then they do take a nap kind of in that mid-morning or early afternoon and as long as you're able to get to sleep okay then there's nothing wrong with taking a short nap. I gotta tell you if I had nap time every day I would love it and I'm I'm not over 65 but sign me up (laughs) I I want a nap every day I think it would be fantastic. Now you mentioned also Motrin, Aleve, ibuprofen, one of the other medicines that I hear a lot of folks talk about. I mean, you can't turn on the television without seeing advertisements for something. And one of the things that they often say is, this is great for all-day joint pain relief. And you see these people that are all of a sudden able to exercise and run around and play with grandkids and on these commercials. And it makes me wonder, you know, a lot of times people may start to rely on these medications and you illustrated a couple of problems that it could cause some bleeding or some stomach troubles or kidney troubles. So, you know, is it okay to use that occasionally? And if so, then how would you know when when to stop it from becoming a regular habit? Yeah, I think generally we try to really steer people away from long-term use. Um, I think that the medications, they do have a role. They're they're great anti-inflammatory medicines. Um, if people are very old, I mean, you know, over the age of 80, I would try to avoid them altogether. Um, if you're younger, you don't have a lot of health problems, um, I kind of caution people that a safe use would be no longer than two weeks at a time, definitely not anything for months. Uh, that's when we see a lot of people coming in with bleeding in their stomach or, or other issues. So up to two weeks at a time and definitely taking the medicines with a lot of food and a lot of water, if you're kind of in that younger age group, is is maybe okay. But I really tell people to try to take Tylenol. Um, Tylenol, everyone is worried that it can harm your liver or your kidneys. Really, the cases of Tylenol overdoses and poisoning of the liver is taking more than the recommended amount for a long period of time. So people can actually take up to 3,000 milligrams of acetaminophen or Tylenol every day. Most people don't have anything close to that, so I'll, I'll always kind of steer people away from the ibuprofen or the Aleve and have them try Tylenol first. 
Um, we also have a lot of good topical medicines, so medicines that you can try to use on the skin, which don't get absorbed throughout the body, so they have less of a chance of causing a serious side effect, like bleeding. So those would be, you might have seen them, um, things like diclofenac or Voltaren gel, um, or even the Solonpas or the lidocaine can provide some relief for people. And I find and it I interesting, think, yeah, those, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, lidocaine, there's a topical version of that available. I think it's a 4%, and it's not that expensive. You can get a topical patch if you have nerve pain or something that's really bothering you. It actually could be something that really has a big impact, and as you mentioned, doesn't really get absorbed in the body, so it's pretty safe. Yeah, I I think it's worth a try. It doesn't work for everyone, but given kind of the risk to the benefit ratio, I would definitely have people at least try it before reaching for some of the other medicines. Now, we've talked a little bit about Benadryl, a sleep aid. We've talked a little bit about the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medicines, the NSAIDs or the ibuprofen type, Aleve type of medications. What else is on the be very careful list? I know that sometimes people want to take some cold medicines and Sudafed is one of those ones that we think might help a lot if you get a lot of nasal congestion, but huh, maybe not so much as you get older. Hmm? Yeah, definitely um, not if you have high blood pressure. We really try to stay away from those decongestants because they can cause blood pressure issues. So, you know, just natural remedies like honey and some lemon tea, that those can be very helpful or Things like the Vicks um, can help relieve some of that nasal congestion or or some nasal sprays and nasal rinses are are safer options. So even if you have respiratory symptoms, don't just reach for everything that's out there because it could potentially cause you to have some other problems. You mentioned blood pressure as one of the potential side effects that could occur with some of these. Are there other medication categories that we need to be extra careful with as we get older? Yeah, we have, I think we talked a lot about the -the over-the-counter medicines, um, but there are some prescription medications that people may have been taking for a long time, and they just have more risks as as we age. So one of the big ones is benzodiazepine medication. So these are medicines that people are often prescribed if they have some anxiety or sometimes if they have trouble sleeping. And um, common names would be Ativan or um, Valium. And these medicines, as, as we get older, they can really cause a lot of issues, including they've been linked to having a higher risk of cognitive impairment, so memory and thinking problems, as well as falls. And they do have somewhat of an addictive potential. So we really try to tell people, Um, If you're on them, try to get off of them by talking with your doctor about other options. Yeah, that's a very good point because a lot of times they seem to be such small doses. You know, there's medicines out there and like, but it's only 0.5 and that can't be a lot. But, you know, that's that's still could be enough of a dose that you might start to have some other side effects. And you mentioned almost becoming dependent on it in a way that if you rely on that every day to help you with some of your difficulties, whether it be anxiety or difficulty sleeping, then you kind of feel like you can't 
get along without it. So slowly tapering off and reducing that dose is probably going to be the best thing for you. Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that because of the way our bodies change as we get older, even though you're on the same dose that you have been on for years, um, actually your body has a decreased ability to metabolize it or get it out of your system. And so even though that dose is the same, the actual amount of the medication in your body is higher or over a longer period of time. All right. We are learning a lot about the best way to stay safe with our medications. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We have Dr. Megan Chalk on the line from Kaiser Permanente. She's a geriatric specialist. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about other medicine things we have to be careful with and how is the best way that we can prevent falling down. Another big risk as we get older as our balance changes, too. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Dr. Megan Chalk from Kaiser Permanente. She's a geriatric expert, and we're talking today about what are some of the things we have to be mindful of as we get older. So right before the break, we were talking about medications, both prescription and over-the-counter, that we have to be careful with to make sure that we don't put ourselves at risk. There are certainly a lot of different medicines that people get for standard things, like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, these sorts of conditions that could potentially cause a problem with interactions. And then we add to that the fact that there's so many different routines, take it once a day, twice a day, before meals, after meals. Is there, you know, when you see folks in your office, Dr. Dr. Megan, do you have them bring in all their medicines so that you can have them review the whole list and kind of take a look at all these prescriptions and make sure that they're taking them as often as they need to? Yes. Um, reviewing medications is a really big part of our office visits and geriatrics. And in any in anyone I see, I always like to confirm what they're actually taking versus what they're prescribed. So bringing in, you know, the bottles of medicine or your actual pill box and, and going through it with your doctor is, is really helpful because sometimes, even though it's prescribed a certain way, we find that people are taking it differently. And it's really, it's really just good to identify potential issues, even though you might not be having them, with the way that you're taking the medication. Yeah, I'm always amazed when I speak to folks and I hear from them that, you know, the complicated routine of medicines, I often find that when we're least able to handle the complexity, it seems to be that's when we have the most difficulty with having these complicated before meals, after meals, twice a day, three times a day. It makes me wonder, you know, with all the technological advances in medicine, how we haven't come up with better delivery systems other than daily pills, you know? I mean, there's patches for certain things. There's monthly injections, I suppose, but Makes me wonder, boy, that would be a great frontier to have some discoveries on is is easier ways to take medicines that are effective 
that don't have to be on a daily, every eight or 12 hour basis. Yeah. I mean, I guess until we figure that out, <laughs> we, we do often have people who have a difficult time keeping on a schedule or even remembering to take their medicine. So I've had people use uh, like automated pill boxes that you can set them up and they alarm and someone, you know, usually a caregiver, like a, a child or, you know, someone else in the home can set them up and then you can have the medication just alarm and dispense a pill. And, and sometimes that works for people, but you're right. It is so complicated. I could never do the medications the way some of our patients do. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Kudos to those folks who either have somebody who helps them or manage their complicated medication routine because it is fairly difficult, particularly if you have any yeah. memory issues, you know, to remember, did you take your medicine? Literally, it's something that you've got to keep track of in some way. Now, you know, the other thing that often worries me is, the idea of a lot of the medication side effects that we worry about would be dizziness or loss of balance and falling down. There have been some studies in the recent past that have looked at some of the best forms of exercise as we get older, and it seems like the simple ways always win out. It's the slow movement Tai Chi type of activities or just the walking around. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to involve a lot of different elements, you know, you don't need any extra equipment for it, except for maybe some shoes. But it seems like the best ways to keep ourselves going are often kind of the simplest ways. Yeah, and I always tell people just move. I mean, moving has so many benefits. I mean, you said it yourself, you don't need a fancy equipment, you don't need a gym membership, just walking and the slow Tai Chi has actually been the only form of exercise that has evidence to improve balance. And I think that people don't realize that it's literally just taking the first step and then trying to do as much as you can. But you don't have to even do a long walk or people think of exercising for a long time. You know, we have evidence that shows that even doing a few 10-minute walks throughout the day Anything that can add up to like 30 minutes of physical activity with just walking again being the basis of this, it has so many health benefits. And I always encourage people to consider that if you're about to start an exercise routine, there is such a benefit to maybe even talking with your doctor about doing like a physical therapy evaluation making sure mm -hmm. that you're getting up out of a chair properly, that you're starting walking in a way that's safe for your body, that is going to hopefully help you to keep from the people who, you know, you get up and you say, let me get going, and you forget, oh, I've got to get up, stand up, steady myself, and then start to go. Some of those simple tips that it sounds like sometimes we so easily forget as we think our brain thinks we're a lot younger than our body remembers we are. Yeah, and even, you know, using something like an assistive device to walk farther. So a lot of people are just, they cannot imagine using a cane or one of the walkers. But when you actually get them to try it, they realize, like, wow, I can, I feel so much better. I feel so much steadier. And then it actually enables you to do more rather than being something like a 
something to hold you back from activity. It actually helps you to do more. So I love physical therapy, and I think it's just really important to get people moving and, and make sure it's safe. Well, I'll tell you, as I get older, I want to get one of those tricked-out walkers. It'll be my new purse because I tend to carry a lot of stuff. And sometimes these days you can have extra pockets and all sorts of things in those in that extra assistive equipment. So it's something for me to look forward to. Well, you have really helped to demystify some of the medication questions that a lot of folks may have. And we will absolutely have to have a discussion again. Dr. Megan Chalk from Kaiser Permanente, geriatric specialist. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show, or you can find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk more about ways to stay healthy and keep our bodies going right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.